Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a class from our 2022 Elul Learning Series. So Leil Orechtin, um, another Kalir poem. It, it, it brings, it, this is the, for Shachary, this is the conclusion of the PU team that feed into the, um, into the Kedusha. But of course, this, this one has nothing to do with Kedusha. Uh, as, as, uh, Rabbi Reuben Hammer, lover Shalom has noted, the, um, this is the really the first of the PU team that focuses on Dean. On judgment, okay, which of course is a major theme for the holidays, especially Rosh Hashanah, and well, for both of them. And um, remember the the earlier ones we saw God as King, the uh, Gaonic additions to the you know the short things that we add to the Amidah, you know, for the the emphasis on those is Chaim. Uh, so, uh, you know, Sefer HaChayim. But this is the one that really focuses on, uh, on Dean. And it's all create, all creation. You'll see inside the Piyut if you, if you've looked at it. Judgment is not just on B'nai Yisrael. It's everybody. But what I find very interesting, and I just want you to look closely, um, in the first um elements of the piyut starting with aleph okay so let's look at the beginning uh, then there's the introduction ubachain lacha hakol yaktiru the uh we will all um crown god as sovereign in other words that doesn't mean we are empowered to crown him Right, but it means that we are recognizing his kingship, and so now they're going to talk about all the lamads, okay? So, and the, so the beginning is and we're now going to crown to recognize the crown on El Orechtin. That's those lamads, Leel Orechtin, Levochen Levavot, Legole Amukot, Le 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 Le. Right, we are going to crown the king who is the dot dot dot. So that's what all those lamads mean. But look, Le'el Orechdin, right? The God who establishes judgment. Orechdin, uh, in and of itself is a technical term that you find in Pirkei Avot, where it says that a judge should not be an Orechdin. Uh, an orechdin is somebody who prepares a case, uh, for trial in a court. And the judge, of course, is not supposed to, uh, do any preparation, so to speak, of determining the innocence or guilt of the various litigants, right? He's supposed to be or she's supposed to be totally neutral. Okay. So orechdin here then is not meaning the kind of a thing where you have a lawyer representing one side or the other. It means who's organizing the judgment, who's setting up the judgment. Okay, so that's God. Now, bochein levavot, all right? I'm going to get back to that in a moment. 
But, you know, bochen levavot means gods who tests souls, right? Tests souls, checks out if the, if someone's lave is whole, is, is honest, is sincere. Remember the lave being the, not, not, not just the pump of the blood, but it is the the center, the center of emotion, of intellect, of thought. Okay. So when you check the heart, means God's looking inside, deeply inside of a person. And that follows Ligole Amukot, right? He, he reveals deep things, right? Things that are deep. It's parallel to that, deep within the soul, within the, the heart of a person. Was, he can dredge God in his making judgment to pull up stuff that's hidden away in your memory or the result of things that uh, tendencies that are within you. So there's no, no hiding. The point is, there's no hiding anything from God, from this judge. He'll see, he'll find every bit of evidence for you and against you. Okay. Dover me sharim. He speaks justly, justice, right? Meshar, yosher, yashar, right? It's straight. But the point being just, justice. Then, lahogedeot, here too. Hoge means to deduce, to, to, to reason things out. So God can reason things out, deot, thoughts, deep thoughts, deep thoughts. The verb ladaat, which today we use for all kinds of things. I know, aniodea, right? I know. In ancient times, especially in the Bible, Yada implies intimate thoughts, deep thoughts. So that notion of depth. So, for example, when a person, when a man and a woman sexually, you know, get together, it's vayeda so and so at so and so. They knew so and so knew knew so and right knew so and so. Carnal knowledge is a term often used, but that's sort of negative. But the point is. Here, Rocket Chem Yadati Mikol Mishpachota Adama, Amos, okay, chapter three. Just you do I have I known from among all the nations of the earth. Therefore, I'm going to hold you responsible. I'm going to, you know, hold you more responsible, uh, for, for your acts. Knowing in the sense here is then it's not sexual. Knowing in the sense that I grasp all the intimacies. In your life, okay. So all of this is judgment, right? Okay. So the olive through the hay is judgment. The interesting thing is, the rest of the poem, as we're going to see, is either sort of neutral. There's some repetition, but there's a lot of emphasis on righteousness, on forgiveness, okay. And the other things, these other things will pop up. There's no question, but you will see the, there's a strong emphasis on that. And the thing to keep in mind is that, that this is not something that this poem or the poet made up. It is part and parcel of the, uh, of a kind of a duality that exists in Jewish theology with respect to God, right? God is the master judge, but God is also the compassionate God, right? 
And I think some of you have heard me talk about, you may have studied yourself, the Rashi on uh, Breshit, chapter 2, verse 4b, uh, where it says, on the, and on the day when Adonai Elohim created man, or created the world, sorry, <clears throat> on the day when God created, yes, if it's, but God is called Adonai Elohim. And in the first creation story, what is God called? Rashid bara Elohim. Elohim. That's all. Right? Whereas in the second story, it's Adonai Elohim. <clears throat> so based on Midrashit Rabbah, Rashi, what did anybody remember what Rashi says? If you've had it, studied it before, what did anybody remember? Why is it Adonai Elohim? Is it, I, I don't remember, it's just a guess, but is it something about the angels? No, not angels, no. All right, I will tell you. So there, the Midrash says that when God desired to create the world, at first he used the principle of din, of judgment. Elohim in chapter one, the, there's a sense, Elohim is sometimes used in the Bible uh, as a surrogate for for judge, okay, you or it could meant the oracle. It's not clear, but it's a, it's a, it's a term used in judgment, okay. So Elohim, the rabbis understood to mean is a rep, represents God's uh, uh, capacity to judge, okay. But but according to Breshit Rabbah, according to the Midrash, he cr- tried to cr- try to create the world using the principle of judgment and and it didn't it wouldn't hold together it just wouldn't stick together and so then he realized that he had to incorporate and bring together with judgment another one of his attributes which ends up being his primary attribute in class the second and what is that i don't know which is what are you going to link it to ref to rahmanas Yes, Rachamim, not I. The Torah but, does. The Torah does that already. I'll get to that in a second. But so, aren't there much better names that link? No, no. That's what the rabbi. That's how it's. Let me hold on. I'll get back to that. Let me just finish this, and I'll explain. Okay. So Rashi, the midrash says, so God combined Rachamim and Din. It was like what I call a cosmic epoxy. Remember epoxy glue? Very strong glue. It came in two different tubes, remember? I think they still use it. No, it's used. Very strong, right? And and um, you mix them together, and it's, it's terrific. So he combined judgment with compassion, and it held. And then Rashi adds on that the notion based upon Adonai Elohim, what comes first? Adonai. Adonai is compassion. Okay? And that was, so Rashi says, he gave preference, he put first uh, compassion, implying that of in the two, in the mix of the two, it wasn't 50-50, it was sort of 51-49, favoring Rachamim. And if you look at the poem, you will see and add up all the passages that deal with Din and the other ones that deal with Rachamim 
or remembering God's people, protecting God's people. Okay, you'll find that the tendency in the poem also leans to the side of rachamim, of compassion. So God's judgment is tempered by God's compassion. Now, where in the Bible do we see that yud heh vav Adonai, is associated powerfully with compassion? You all know it. We're going to say it multiple times on Yom Kippur. With the with the passage from Kisisa, which is the attribute. Yes, yes, yes. Which thirty four, chapter thirty four, thirty four verses six and seven. Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum, Bechanun, Erechapayim, Verachesed. Right, God, God, who's a compassionate God, full of loving kindness, forgiving of sin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So that there, that was the reason. That passage is the reason why the rabbis defined Adonai as being the representative of God's compassion, and Elohim being the representative of God's judgment. All right. So. This poem then reflects that. And again, that, that is, that you find that tension throughout the machsor, right? And we, 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 we quiver and quake at the thought of <laughs> judgment and we yell out to God, remember us, find your compassion. We try to move God from the throne of judgment to the throne of compassion, right? All these different, uh, metaphors. The point being, that 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 that's our job. That's our job. And it's, what's very interesting is that it, it assumes that if we and the point is if we do this sincerely, yes, we do this with sincerity, can have an impact on God. And that's a, that's a very it's an interesting concept because normally we say, well, what could we do that could have an impact on God? Well, apparently we can do things. And of course the, the, the bottom line is remember that, um, ultimately, um, the, the book is closed on, on Hoshana Rabbah, right? At the end of Sukkot, the, the book of judgment, which sort of means we either have time to complete the process of Chuba if we haven't finished it by Yom Kippur, <clears throat> or God gives us an opportunity to test us to see if our, our chuba was sincere, that we had begun to change our behavior, you know, and if he sees that, uh, we really haven't, that, that our prayers have only been lip service, but our attitudes haven't changed, maybe he'll switch us to the wrong side of the book or put us in the other book, you know. Anyway, but, uh, this is this this, this uh, tension, if you will, uh, is part of the high holiday theology and spirituality. But the fact that we can talk to God like this and say, "Hey, come on, remember this. Remember the covenant you made a promise, right? We're, we're playing Moses, right? Moses said that after the golden calf, and that's why God didn't destroy the people. Okay, He said the same thing after the spies too." And God didn't destroy the people. So emotion knew how to push his buttons. Hopefully we've learned too. Maybe we can push some good buttons. 
But, you know, that requires sincere effort on our part. And nobody at the, in those events with Moshe could doubt his sincerity. Okay. All right. So moving on. Now I have, this is, this is going to get, um, somewhat complex because the fact is this, these words, what's really interesting here is all of these different terms reflect different uh, aspects of God and they have meanings, some of which uh, are not the way that we normally understand these words. Okay. So I mentioned already, well, here, Bochein Levavot. All right. Bochein Levavot. That term you can find in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 3. Okay. Where Jeremiah says, you tested my heart. And there are many places where you find that God is bochen klayot God, God tests our, our, our guts, our, our innards, you know, and our heart. Okay. So that, that, that's a very traditional, uh, biblical passage. Again, this notion of deep knowledge, deep, uh, goes deep within us, uh, to understand, learn about us and what we have done. Okay. So <clears throat> we talk. So the point here is you'll notice in the way Kalir has structured the poem, it begins with Bohain, with, with, with two, with a, um, a noun and a, a, a verb and a noun, right? God. Bochain tests the heart. Next, he reveals deep things. He speaks right, adjust things. Uh, so it's Biyomdin Badin, on the day of judgment and in the process of judgment. So clearly, the poem, just in terms of that word repeating itself over and over and over again, sort of, you know, it, it sets the tone of the, of the, uh, seriousness of the seriousness of the process of judgment. Even all, the sentence, all the sentences start with a lamed. Is that also yes, delivered? No, that's because, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's another poetic um, uh, device. Absolutely. But it's because each one of these things, again, we have crowned. Whom have we have crowned? We have crowned the ale, the ale or ectin. We put the crown for the God of who sets up justice, for the God who the, that Lamed connects us back to the very first line, right? We all have crowned you as the God who does this, the one who searches the hearts, the one who reveals deep things over and over and over again. So you can see here it's clearly poetic, right? The fact that you have the Lamed, that the Yomdin, the Din. It's a highly structured poem. Okay, so that's the Olamets, yes. Okay, so God is Dover Me Sharim, Isaiah chapter 33, verse 15. You will find that term. It's in the notes here, if you look on the side. Um, and then Lohogedeot, we talked about. Okay, we talked about Hogedeot. And then Chomel Ma'asav. Chomel means the same thing as mochel. Well, mochel is to forgive. Chomel means to have compassion for. Another, it's a synonym for lerachem. Okay. Now look what it says, ma'asav. What does that mean? The thing, God's creations, God's creatures. 
God's creatures. So who are God's creatures? Every, every person and animal. That's what it sounds like. That, yeah. That's what it sounds it like. Yeah. Um, it's in this, but sometimes the rabbis, uh, play fast and loose with Hebrew terms because there are places in the Talmud where God will talk about the briot, right? The, the briot, that means creatures, but he's talking about people. So, um, you know, so it's, it's not clear, but it's possible that, you know, he's taught, he, this could imply here on this day of judgment that God's including all creatures. And this is going to pop up next week when, cause the next two weeks, the last two sessions, we're going to deal in, in, in depth with the, uh, Unatana Toka. And have I got some stuff to teach you that you've never, things about it you never knew before. So it's, uh, I got some surprises for you. <laughs> okay. We're, we're going to be clay in your hands. No, <laughs> I'm not the Yotzer. No, 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 I'm not the Yotzer. No, no, no. I have a Yotzer. They might have a Yotzer, a Yotzer, a Ra. Hopefully I also have a Yotzer at all. You do. You do. Thank definitely, you. definitely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Now moving on. <clears throat> but here, look, next line with a Vav. Levatik chesed. Okay. Levatik today, if you go in, which, which I did, if you open up the standard dictionary today, the first meaning of Vatik is old. In Hebrew and Israel, you have Vetek. Vetek means you, you are like, for example, a tenure. You've got tenure. Like a tenured professor has Vetek. Vav Taf Kuf, which means oldness. That was, he's, he's already stuck there. Okay. Permanent, permanence, permanence. Okay. Permanence. All right. So, batik Okay. So it means he, but what does it mean here? Okay. Look at the translation. Wise, wise. Well, wise, it doesn't, it, that's, that's a loose, that's a loose translation. Okay. The fact is, and I'm going to go to my notes now because I uh, actually have done he made, he made kindness. Is it, is it oh, still no, the same no. way as like ir atika? Well, no, Atik, it's interesting. That means old. Okay. Yes. That means old. But in Arabic, Atik is, it, it has a, it's interesting. I have it right here in my notes from the Jastro, uh, dictionary. Atzak is, is the equivalent of Atik. Okay. And it's got both an ayan and a taf. Okay. So it, it, it this is very interesting and a kuf. But it means, what it means is enduring, enduring, trusty, strong, distinguished, and it's used as a, um, uh, a distinguished scholar. Okay. And then there's the term, it's also used, the Vatikin, see that with the people who used to read the Psalms early in the morning, conscientiously pious men of former days. Okay. So it really refers to a, a, a distinguished, strong, trusting God, not necessarily an old God. All right. So that's, that's worthy of consideration here. That's what this is about. All right. 
And so, and he also, he's Osei Chesed. Yes, he's Osei Chesed. He does, he performs acts of loving kindness. See the power switching, right? This is not, this is not the judge anymore. This is a compassionate God. And then the next one, Zocher Brito, right? God remembers his covenant. We've talked about that, right? So that is an indication of his compassion, right? And that goes back, as I said before, to Exodus chapter 32, right? Where God, Moses is yelling at God and says, you haven't got a covenant with this people. You can't break it. Not you. You don't break covenants. Okay. You know who also said that interestingly? It's going to surprise in, in, in Romans, Paul, Paul the apostle, he says, God doesn't break promises. God doesn't break covenants. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Just throw that out there just for your consideration. All right. Anyway. So he remembers his brief. Yes. And that's going to be a major theme, right? In the high holidays. Major, major theme. All right. So then we talked about this, Chomel Ma'asav, right? He has compassion for his, uh, for his creatures. Yes. Uh, he, he's compassionate toward them. Then Toher, Taher Chosav. He purifies those who, whom he protects, right? He purifies. In other words, he, his, he, he protects us, right? We find that Chus Vachanem. Right, it's associated with compassion, but it means to care for, lachus, right, to be, to be responsible for it, to care for someone. So, but he purifies us. In other words, God really wants us to be pure of sin. So he will, he will purify us. It's not just that we do it. He will help us be pure. All right. Now we, now we have Yodea Machshavot. This takes us back to the same as Hogedeot before, right? He knows our thoughts, all right? So now we're sneaking in a little judgment thing here, that God knows our thoughts. It means, oh, he's looking. Now, remember, remember that the poem, the poet, because it's an alphabetic acrostic, also has to consider the the use of Letter, words that begin with certain letters. So he decided to put the, the Yud of Yodea here, uh, uh, even though it's sort of out of, because look, you see, look at the next one. It kovesh ka'aso. He conquers his anger. So that's sort of, again, that's the other side of the coin. All right. But kovesh ka'aso, that's what God does because he's compassionate. Right. And in a sense, um, you can see that in means he's, he's long suffering, right? He's, he, he can, he can, he can take it without, without getting angry and exploding. All right. He can control his anger. Okay. Now, lovesh sedakot, right? God is cloaked in righteousness. Cloaked in righteousness. Going to come back to that in a little bit, in a little bit. All right. Now, tzedakot is more like tzedakah, it's plain tzedek. 
right? Tzedakot is associated, more associated with righteousness, not, not necessarily justice, right? And so that's what this is. This is not strict, narrow judgment, uh, uh, tzedek of, of judgment. It's tzedakot, acts of tzedakah, of righteousness, which is a much softer term. Then, mochel avonot, the mem, forgiving of sin, plain out. Then, no ra tihilot. Now we're not talking about anything other than God's power. He's awesome in the psalm, in, in the praise that he gets, right? No ra, what does that mean? Off, awesome, aw, A-W-E. It's, it's from the root yud resh aleph, which means to fear, right? You are a God-fearer. Yirat shamayim, fear of heaven. Okay? So, but it means, it, it's meanings, it, it's fear, it's, it's, it's quaking in the presence of this divine, of this amazing power. Now that is something that is, tends to be more associated with the, the threats of judgment. So there you go. That's much more in terms of strength rather than compassion. But then what comes right after it? So right? God forgives the, the, the carried ones. What, what is Amus? Well, if you look at the note toward the bottom of the page in the English there, this is a reference to Isaiah 46.3, which uses a maternal image to describe God's relationship with Israel. Okay, so he carries us like a mother would be carried in the womb, a child in the womb, protecting us, sustaining us. Okay. Rabbi? Yes. Is, is that the same verse? And I'm not, I'm not remembering offhand, but there's a verse that I love where it, the root is related to Amen and it likens Moshe to a nursing mother. Oh, my. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Is that, um, I think it's in Shemos. I, I don't, I just don't remember right now, but, uh, is that where, is that where, is that in Bamidbar chapter 11 where he complains to God that he carried his, oh evil? no, I, yes, I think you're right. I think it's Bamidbar, not Shemos, but I've always, not always, right? Lately. But, he, but he's saying, he's questioning, he says, did I create this people? Did I carry them? Am I their nurse? I think he was, that's when he's complaining to God that he's got too much. He, he can't bear the burden of leadership. It's a very tragic, powerfully tragic <clears throat> statement that he's making. I think that's what it is, but I, I don't want to take the time right now to look it up. But yes, that, that is so simple. But that's with an olive. Yeah, right. That, that's not a moose. That's a different term. But yes, it's the same idea, though, the use of the metaphor of a mother with a child. Yes. Yes. In fact, God, Moses is saying, I, am I supposed to, you know, carry this, this child, uh, you know, in my arms, so to speak? It's your, it's your, your baby, not mine, is what Moses is saying. All right. Then it goes on. Right. God responds to those who call out to him. That's us. We are his korav. We call out kore, right? We cry out to God. And here again, po'el rachamav, he activates his compassion in judgment. See, po'el rachamav, badin, in the process of judgment, 
he activates his compassion. Now here again, looking deep within, Sofer Nistarot, God sees the hidden things. All right, we, that's that's like what we saw up above, right? That he looks gole amukot. It's the same thing as the as the gimel at the top of the at the top of the column. Same concept, revealing secret things. <clears throat> now, kone abadav, kone. You know, most people today you use that verb meaning to buy, but that's not what it really means. It means to acquire, right? So God acquires. His servants. So what's the implication here? It, is it marriage? Cause mm-hmm. it's like a Kenyan. Is it like the acquisition that's done in marriage? The acquisition. Ah, that's right. Is that title? Yep. Very good. I said at the beginning before you were all there that I was going to refer to a Mishnah. So here I go in the Mishnah Kiddushin one, one. Right, this deals with the uh, laws of the marriage. Okay, so it says Ha'ishanik Nate, a woman is acquired in three ways. I'm not going to go into details. The woman is acquired, and then the next passage after that is fully fleshed out. It says Evet Ivri Nikne, a Hebrew slave is acquired. Now this is not God inquiring acquiring this is people but now it's transferred here so when you do that it it what does it mean i mean you got to think in the context of this poem what does it mean that god is kone us we are god's servants right we are god's servants all right <clears throat> so what does it mean then when it says god acquires us we have to agree to him we have to what I said first, and then Rini said, we have to agree that's the nature of acquisition. Uh, it could be, but I don't know that that's really what he's talking about here, because it's, it's talking from his side. He's acquiring us. That we belong to him. We belong to him. What does it imply? That we are his children. We are his, no, who, that he, if, if we belong to him, and he, we are in his possession, then what does one feel toward something precious that's in your possession? Love. Love. Rachmanut. Compassion. But you also think it, but you also think it's a treasure, the whole Amsagula thing. A treasure. Yes. Uh, responsibility. Exactly. There's a, the point is it's a positive statement. It has a lot to do with responsibility, especially in the in the context of a, a person acquiring. I mean, personally, this is Rembaum speaking here. I don't like that language because Kone means to 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 acquire, and I don't think I acquired my wife. It's almost slave-like. It is. Well, the fact is, the second one is you acquire an, a, a slave. And if you go down the list, there's the next thing is the Nebuchadnezzar, Kanani, a non-Israelite slave. And you know what the last one is? A cow. <laughs> you acquire an animal. All right. That we do do. Yeah. So, I mean, the point is that, that the notion of, and the, we use the term at a wedding, right? When you, when you pull on the Kinyan Sudar, 
when the bride, when the groom, I do the bride and the groom, okay, because I'm egalitarian. In this traditional way, the groom pulls on the, the cloth when the ketubah is signed or before the ketubah is signed, implying that he acquires the woman and all the responsibilities thereunto appertain. When I do it in the sense of, of, of each one acquiring the other, I say you are acquiring responsibilities for each other mutually. Okay? But the term is there. A kiddushin, in a sense, is used as a, as a much more, I say, spiritual surrogate for kinyan. Uh, you know, sanctification. It elevates the process and you can interpret it differently. But, but it, it, I personally don't like that, that concept. I mean, I'm, I'm again, I'm totally against patriarchy. A hundred percent against patriarchy. That's another subject, but you should know that. I'm happy to share that with you at any time. Anyway, so God acquires, God acquires, God is responsible for us. Okay. Now then it continues. Right. He has compassion for his people. Yes. Then next one. Shomer Ohavav. Right. He guards, he protects, takes care of those whom he loves. And similarly, Tomech Tamimav. And he also, he supports those who are his Tamimim. It could be innocent ones, but I think it also means those whose faith is whole, is Tamim, is complete. Those who have faith in him. Okay? So this is, here we are. This amazing poem that that deals with within the context of an alphabetic acrostic with a lot of lamads with the omdin badin a highly worked up uh did you know when Kalir wrote this you know he was really had his uh his uh, uh what shall we say his poetic moxie at work okay and it, it's 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 an amazing piece it's an amazing piece so this is the, the, what we say in Shachrit, right after this comes the Kedusha. Okay. And so there's no, but you see, there's no reference at all, uh, to, to that term. Not at all. But that's, but, but that's because the, the one thing we will do in the Kedusha, we define God's holiness. We say Kadosh, 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 right? And then what do we say at the last one? Right? God will rule forever. So his kingship is affirmed, much as this implies it. But it says at the beginning, Yaktiru, right? Yaktiru, the very beginning, crown. So we're talking here about the king, who is also the supreme judge. Okay. Any thoughts to this point? All right. So does this, uh, when you read this, I mean, you'll have to it'd be interesting for you to think about this. You know, when, when we get here, when we get to this point in the high holiday services to see how you, how you relate to it. Okay. Obviously the notions here are very ancient notions about how God operates. And so well, go ahead. Yes. Who wrote the first line that starts the one that starts at Uvachain Lacha? I assume it, I'm assuming it wasn't the author of the piano because the, um, the second line is in bold. 
So who would have written that first line? Or is this, or is that the Lev Shalem? Wait, wait. Um, Oh, okay. She's taking the dog out. All right. Um, You know, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's not just the bold, but if it's an alphabetical piute, it's not, the Aleph is the next line. Right. But sometimes though, you have people who will, um, oh, yeah. I mean, remember, this is in the, it's in the language of the Uvachain paragraphs we had before. Right. So it's a good point. I'm not sure if this is something that the later compilers of the prayers, uh, added in, you know, in the spirit of the other Uvachain paragraphs, right, which are also part of the Kedusha. So, um, it could be that. Yeah, it could be that an editor, a prayer book, a, a compiler of prayers for purpose of public worship could have put that in, um, with the notion of, of highlighting the kingship of God. But I'm just curious. Um, yeah, yeah, it could be it. I'm not, it's interesting. It, uh, obviously, it makes sense because God is the supreme, the, 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 the king is the supreme judge. There's absolutely no question about that. So it could be, yeah, that it's another, another hand may have done it. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, let me talk to you something else. And I just realized this today and I went absolutely mishuga about it. <laughs> All right. Now, I want you to go back to page, one second, here we are. Go back to page 83. The, uh, Atahu Eloheinu. Okay. Now, I want you to, um, look at the style. <clears throat> okay. The, the way it's set up, of course, sort of gives it away, but every, everything is, you have these du- dual things, these two different, two different, anti- two different elements, uh, in each separate, uh, uh segment. So, Eloheinu Bashamayim Vaaretz, Gibor Venaaretz, Dagul Meravava, Usach Vayehi, Vetziva Venivrau, Zichro Lanetz, Hayol Amin, Tahore Nayim. Ooh, Tahore Nayim. Isn't that interesting? Over here is Tahir Oh, look at that. All right. Yoshev Seter. Kitro Yeshua. There's a Keter. There may be, I don't know. Mubusho Tzedaka. Tzedaka. Look at that. Mubusho Tzedaka. And lo and behold, what do we have over here? You see that? All right. And you have over here, Onel Arab, and down below on the, on the, uh, Tao Elohim, Karov Lekorav. All right. There's, uh, um, my point is the style here is very similar, but this notion of Lovesh, which, which, uh, the <coughs> got from, uh, Isaiah chapter 59, which we talked about last time, pops up over here as well. Lovesh Tzedakot. 
wearing, right, garbed in something. So you can see here that there's a style that this is Kalir. There's a, you can see the same style at work. The way you have these two words that, and then followed by another two words. Okay. I mean, some of these pat, like Sadikli Ashar is very common, but you know, you have, it's just, uh, here, Dover Sharim. I mean, so, but the point is, there is a similarity in the, in, in the tone between the two poems. They're from the same, the same uh, poet. All right. But here's the other thing that really sort of blew my mind. Um, I thought there was another, another, uh, um, compilation of of um, no, wait, hold on, I'm trying to find my papers here. Just a minute. Oh, yeah, here they are. There's a whole other thing that you are familiar with that uh, relates very much what we are talking about. Wait a second, I had the papers and I can't find where I put them. Hold on a second. Just um, wait a minute. Oh, here we are. I got them. Okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm not going to have you open this up because you're going to, it'll take time in your, in the Moxor. So, but I want you to be probably familiar with this. This is La'el Baruch Ni'imoti Tenu. This is the line that conclude, that leads up the power, the words that lead, that lead up to Yotzer blessing Yotzer HaMa'orot. Praise are you, God, who creates the lights. This is in Shacharit. This is the end of the first blessing before the Shema. Now, just listen to what it says. So tell me what it sounds like. Right? First of all, it begins, Le'el Baruch. Le'el Baruch Ni'imotitenu. Offer adulation to God. Le'el, the Lamed. Okay? Okay. Now here it is. Hulavado, he's the he by himself is Poel Gvurot, Osechadashot, Baal Milchamot, Zorea Tzedakot, Matsmiak Yeshuot, Bore Refuot, No Ratihilot, Adonhanitlaot. Do you hear it? Same style, exactly. And there is one term here. That is identical here. No ra tihilot. Look at the nun. No ra tihilot. Okay. So the question is, did Kalir also write this piece that is in the Shacharit prayers that we say every single day? Did he? Perhaps. I don't know. If not, clearly the style that he established had a profound influence on people in this period of time, who composed prayers. What period of time are we talking about? We're talking about 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, mostly 5th, 6th, 7th century. The 400s, 500s, 600s of the common era, perhaps even into the 700s. So this is a period of time when this style was really a dominant style. And it pops up in these little poetic segments, but even more than that, in, in other ways elsewhere. So you can see here, the, and, and it's interesting, people are looking at some of the products of that period and seeing the themes and the form of the way language is expressed. 
It's all under the Byzantine control of Eretz Yisrael. In other words, the Roman, the, the Christian Roman government. And there are statements and terms within the prayers of the Byzantine Christians that are similar to some of these. And there are Jewish scholars who look at this and they suggest that it's very likely the same way that you have themes that pop up in the Talmud and you find it in the Bible and you find it in medieval Jewish literature where they're drawing on themes and terms in from the surrounding culture and repurposing them for for use in the context of Jewish sacred literature. And, and they, they, but so it's not, so it could be the larger culture influencing a group of poets, a school of poem, of poets, if you will, who create these poems. And it's a powerful influence because the common denominator in all this stuff is, it's this, it, it, it's also something you find in, in, I, we've talked about this in the mystical literature of the time where God is described multiple times in multiple ways. And that's the way the people theologically during that period express the fact that this God is a God who transcends our normal experience. The, the fact that you have multiple expressions like that, it, it, it means that this is a God you have difficulty defining. So we're going to overdefine it, right? We're going to lay it on. Example, you've heard me say this before. Right? Remember, Yitbarach the Yishtabach the Yitpaar the Yitromam the Nasei the Yitadar. It's poetry. It's the Hippayel form. Over an eight time, all of it meaning God is praised. He's praised. He's praised. He's praised. He's praised. Okay, enough. He's praised. Yes, we admit it. He's praised. But eight times we say it. Same way of thinking. So these are the, 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 it, it's a, it's a kind of, um, as I see it, it, it's biblically, I think you find it in the Bible, where people, even the pe- people who wrote different parts of the Bible realize that you really cannot use language to totally define God. It's an imperfect tool. And of course, the medieval philosophers and mystics come right out and say that we can really never fully comprehend God because we are human beings. So that's something that I think even moderns can wrap their arms around. Okay. Science helps, but it's limited because it's, you know, it deals, you know, astrophysics deals, you know, with stuff that's way out there. Right. But can it talk? Can you, can it find compassion as a divine element in all of that? No, it can find an ordering principle. Can't find Rachmanus though, right? So I mean, it, it's part, but the 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 faith of these people was such that that they recognized that the limitations that they have in understanding a God who is ultimate and infinite, which are concepts that we have difficulty understanding because we are limited and we're time limited, right? We are limited in our capacities, and we're trying to talk about an entity that is the the exact opposite. So go 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 talk about one. 
And so this is what they're trying to do in this period of time. So in the meantime, what they're doing is they're showing you the the details of how they understand God is working, all these little subtle ways, insights and so forth. And 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 so that that it carries over. But now the most interesting thing, what really struck me, as I was repeating some of these terms, <clears throat> I said to myself, you know, think about it this way. There's a melody you could almost use here. All right, you ready? What am I chanting? Simchas Torah. What? For Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah. Exactly. Right? Elohei Haruchot Hoshiana. All right, now you ready? Bochein Levahavot. There it is. Bochein Levahavot. Right there, you see it? There it is. Okay. Goel Chazakanenu Biom Koreinu. Dover tzedakot, dover meshaharim. Your own hakafot. Tzedakot, okay? Hoshiana, hador bilvusho. And over here it says, what is it, luvusho, something, luvusho tzedakot. Hatzlichana, now look at this one. Vatik v'chasid, and over here it says... What does it say? Levatik Chesed. It's 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 so almost identical. And here we are. This is this is Simcha Torah, and this is a poem for Rosh Hashanah, right? Yodea Machshavot. It's right over here. Lovesh Tzedahakot, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so similar. Wait, I'm not finished. <laughs> there it is. And by the way, over here in, in, in the Hoshan, in the, in the Hoshiana, Rahum Ve'anun. Okay, there's Rahum. And then it says Shomer Habrit. So here we have Shomer Havav and Zocher Brito. But you have Rachem, Shomer, and Tomech here, and you have Rachem, Shomer, and Tomech in our poem. So there you have it. Is the Simchas Torah also by Kalir? I don't know. I, I I was trying to look for it. I haven't found it yet. It would if, if not if not, um, then it, it's it's what I said before. You, this is this is a period piece because it seems from what you're showing us that it's not coincidence. Yeah, it, 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 yeah. I mean, when you find a structure, when you think, see, it's like, I've never heard this melody used for for Lielorachim. No, forget about the melody. <laughs> That's late. That does nothing to do with it. So close, but it works, right? So, so again, you, so this this is, we're going to conclude on this point. The we we owe a great debt to the poets who wrote in this sort of 
fuzzy period of Jewish history. Uh, there's not a lot of historical documenta- documents uh, that teach us about that period in time. Um, you know, late Talmudic period in Eretz Yisrael, <clears throat> the, the Jewish community at that time we know was quite depressed. The major center of Jewish life where everybody focused their attention is Babel, right? Is, is the Mesopotamian Jewish community where the Babylonian Talmud was a, the palace, the Eretz Yisrael Talmud was finished about 475, 500. And by the way, a lot of the terms that you see here in these things, you'll find them more commonly referred to if they are Talmudic in the Eretz Yisrael Talmud than in the Talmud Babli. So clearly this is all Eretz Yisrael produced stuff. But it's amazing that even in a period of, of, um, economic, uh, bad economic times, uh, politically, religiously oppressive times, these poems emerge. These poems emerge. They come out of that period and then they have a profound impact on subsequent generations of poets and people who write liturgy. Um, and it becomes part and parcel of our ancient tradition and our today's tradition in the, in the prayer books that we use today. So. Very interesting stuff, I would say. And you can, what I love about this, you know, what really got me excited is it really sort of helps to help us to, helps us to understand what I just said. The notion of the impact that this period has, because we don't often think about this period. We think about this period. We think about the Jews in the Persian Empire, not the Jews in the Roman Empire, because they're doing, having a bad time. Okay. And so next week, we will continue uh, with our study of the liturgy. And a this is a much more complex poem, the Unatana Tokef, a very powerful poem. It speaks of power from the very beginning. Uh, but here, too, I think I have some interesting new pieces of information uh, to share with you that might uh, raise an eyebrow or two. And that's long, so we'll have to devote two uh, two sessions to it, and then we will that'll bring us to the conclusion. Okay, questions, comments, observations. All righty then. So I shall see you next week, same time, same station. Joel, I would make a comment that so far you're reviewing these poems with us has helped me a lot for when it comes to praying on Rosh Hashanah to understand them in the more depth. So I thank you very much. You're welcome. Well, that was my purpose. And I can tell you the same thing with me because I don't, I've never really read them over. I've taught them in different ways, but I've never looked at them in this depth. It's fascinating. It's just the power of poetry. It's power of poetry, folks. When when you're in rabbinical school, do you get poetry classes? Well, (laughs) I was in rabbinical school a long time ago. Oh, we, never studied, we never studied liturgy in our body. No, they do now. And I know at Ziegler they study liturgy. Uh, I'm assuming at the seminary they do. No, when we were there, that's not something rabbis had to study. You knew it. You daven, you knew it. That's all. <laughs> liturgy is 
is amazing stuff. More Jews in the course of history read and knew the knew of these things, knew these words, than they knew of a sugi and the Gemara. You know, this this was this was everybody did this stuff. They didn't necessarily read it. There were no books back then. They heard it. They listened to it. Okay, and hopefully somebody helped them understand it. But uh, that I don't know. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.